Smith, welcome in. It's the latest edition of the Unnamed Soccer Podcast. The Unnamed Soccer Podcast is brought to you by Three Punk Ales in Chula Vista. It is also uh, brought to you by Sport Clips, where it's good to be a guy. Taryn, I need a haircut, brother. I can tell, man. You're rocking the hat today. Yeah. You're, you're like most people in that uh, quarantine for six now going on seven weeks has probably taken a little bit of a toll. You know, everybody's got a little bit more facial hair. I talked my wife into doing a little side trimming there that you can sort of see on the okay. sides and back. So uh, I will say she, you know, she's she's not Lori from Sport Clips, but uh, she did okay. She did okay for herself. How are you doing? It looks good. The hair actually looks really good. I'm glad you brought it up because this is a huge topic in my household. My wife has time and time again uh, offered to cut my hair. And I am scared to death to let her cut my hair. I think well, maybe a buzz cut. Like if we were just going with a basic buzz cut, I would, I would trust her with that. But that's not exactly what I do. So it seems like it's more of a, a risky operation. Well, if ever there is a time at all in life for you to take that risk, it is right now. As a matter of fact, you might even have gone a little longer because you could have regrown some of that hair back. And that's what I kept telling her because she didn't want to do it. See, we were the opposite. I wanted her to do it. She was hesitant. And I said, who gives a shit? So if you mess it up, who's going to see it? We're all locked in our homes anyway. And it's just hair. It'll just grow back. So I think you should take that approach if she wants to do it. Whatever. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Nobody sees you for a couple of weeks. I mean, I, I appreciate the sentiment, but we're, we're doing something on video right now as we speak. Like, we still need to be somewhat right. presentable. I'm, I'm, I'm doing interviews with San Diego State. I don't know what I'm supposed to do later today. I, I think I might get forced into a situation where my wife has to cut my hair, and then whatever happens gets thrown on a camera a little bit later on. Roll the <laughs> dice. Well, you know, you're, you're, you, for those just listening, Jordan's wearing a hat because this is different now. We're doing what uh, everybody else in America is doing. We're, we're having a, a Zoom chat, and uh, he's wearing a hat. So, you know, what's the worst? You just wear a hat. If it's really that bad, what can you do? Right. Move on. Right. Well, uh, I think you'll appreciate this, talking with the men's soccer coach from San Diego State a little bit later on, Coach Hopkins. Nice. Uh, yeah, so that'll be fun. Um, what have you been up to, by the way? And, and we must be getting closer to uh, little baby uh, Frank Lampard Carruth coming out, right? That, we are very close. We're about three weeks away from it. A little bit more, like three weeks and some change. So we're very, very, very close. Um, we're to the stage where... We have weekly doctor's appointments now, and those doctor appointments look very different with everything going on. Uh, a few of those doctor appointments have been over the phone, not always in person, but going forward, we got to go in person. So uh, we are in the final, the final stages. I'm in the stage where everyone says, try to get as much sleep as you possibly can, because sleep is going to be gone. Uh, I'm not a fantastic sleeper, to be honest with you, so we'll see how that even plays out. Um, but mostly what we've been doing is we've been really good about quarantining. Like Sierra's working from home. I work from home. We really haven't gone out other than to get like food. And my friends are trying to get me to go golf this week. I'm hesitant on it, but hmm. we'll see. But nice. mostly it's been, if I'm leaving the house, I'm just getting food or we're at the house hanging out with the dogs and we're cooking. That's essentially what's been going on. So it's quarantine, just uh, the two of you, and uh, seven, eight-month 
pregnant, little Frank Lampard, Pulisic, Carruth. That must be a different experience than the rest of us. I'm with you. I really haven't, I haven't left the house much at all. Um, You and I both own Jeeps, so it's nice every once in a while just to get out, open up the roof and get a little bit of fresh air and feel some sunshine. But where I live, I don't really like going out. I got to be honest. I I go out to pick up food here and there. Uh, It's like a movie set out in North Park. You know, you're so used to seeing like this vibrant neighborhood with bars and restaurants and people going back and forth and Bluefoot's not that far away. I mean, that's a place that opens up. It's four in the morning sometimes for matches and, and, I don't know. It's it's just uh, it's a bit creepy out there in the neighborhood. I got to be honest. It's it's a bit depressing as well. But um, we've we've stayed in. I mean, we've definitely. You know, my wife owns a horse, as I've probably mentioned. So she gets she has an excuse to go out and go see her horse for a couple of hours, a couple of times a week. Um, you know, I'm still doing the radio show here from a kitchen table where I'm talking to you. Uh, and other than that, I mean, there's there's just. You know, I don't, there's nothing really to, to go out and do. So we're not pushing it and, and you know, staying in and doing. The, the only thing we're not doing, like everybody else, we didn't watch Tiger King. So we avoided that. But I've been trying to watch a series that I've never watched, The Wire. Uh, I've been watching uh, through three, three seasons. I've been watching Sunderland Till I Die. I don't know if you've been catching up on that and just waiting to see what the sports world is going to look like when we're all said and done. Yeah. So I have not watched Sunderland Till I Die yet, although I've seen the reviews have been very, very good. Oh, it's heart-wrenching. I mean, it's, it's heart-wrenching stuff. And it comes at an interesting time, right? Because anybody who's listening to a soccer, pass, uh, soccer podcast knows that promotion and relegation is part of it, – it's not – something that our clubs normally go through most right supporters and uh, our Chelsea supporters or Barca supporters, Liverpool or what have you. But, um, you know, we've had Cardiff, you know, we know, we know some, some Swansea, uh, Crystal Palace, I guess, but man, you know, it comes at an interesting time for people to watch it because we just had the NFL draft and you think about the juxtaposition of a sport that rewards a crappy franchise. My phone's about to ring. Hold on. Sorry. Uh, you know, a, a sport that rewards a crappy franchise by giving it its pick of any player that it wants. You know, here you go. You get to take the best quarterback, Joe Burrow, coming out of the draft. And then you see the flip side of it, which is, oh, you get sent down and then you're still shit. And then you get sent down again. So, you know, you're not even like, they get relegated, Jordan two times in back-to-back seasons, which, um, you know, the pain, uh, the agony on the Sunderland supporters. Oh, my gosh, just to watch their mismanaged club and, and just to, you know, to see how frustrated they are. I mean, it's – like I said, I, I mean, we've always talked about promotion and relegation as something that we would love to see happen in the United States. But there is the flip side of it, which is like, wow, what a free fall it is, especially for a club like Sunderland. You know, which has history, not recent history, but, you know, six, seven league titles to its name a half a century ago. But very proud supporters, you know, stadium of life, 50,000 person stadium. And man, it's just it's a it's a brutal experience to watch what that club goes through. I mean, it's it's agonizing for their supporters. So is it shot in a similar way to what we've seen from the LAFC ESPN Plus series, also the 
all or nothing series like Tottenham. I mean, we were, we were documenting Tottenham's amazing yeah. season and I don't know what's going to happen with that footage, but it, it better not take 20 plus years for it to actually come out the way Michael Jordan's did. Um, <laughs> is it, is it shot the same way? Is it kind of just following a season? Yeah. Um, I, and you know, I'd have to go back and look up why exactly it was that they started this documentary to begin with. I think there was some reason, you know, maybe they were trying to showcase the club to sell it, but it had just gotten relegated. So they pick up towards the tail end of, uh, the final matches in the Premier League. And then I think it was, okay, this is going to be a feel good story because, you know, Sunderland is, is, going to get right back into the Premier League, right? So instead of talking about a club that gets relegated from the championship, it's going to get promoted from the championship and end up back in the Premier League. And I think that was sort of the part of the thought process. And uh, it didn't work out. <laughs> you know, they end up sacking their first manager and then the you know, second manager comes in and they get a little bit of a spike. And the club just has terrible, terrible financial problems and can't, afford to bring anybody in during uh, the winter transfer period. And it's just, it's just mounting frustration from these supporters. Like, you know, they just show them at town hall meetings. They show them addressing ownership saying, Hey, like, you know, that's where the phrase Sunderland till I die comes from. Like, they're like, we've been here with this club. You guys are new at this. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, we, we all relegation is a, a, a very, very, brutal thing in this documentary you know you just you see the economic uh financial emotional toll that it takes not you know just on the club on the supporters but on the city you know on the city of Sunderland South I mean it's just man like I said it's a totally different experience than hey guess what Cincinnati Bengals you know you get to go out there and you get to find your favorite quarterback and, and pick that guy. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a good watch. I know, I know that there's been a couple of soccer documentaries that people have gravitated towards, but you know, that's the one for me. And, and I'm not all the way through it. I'm just starting season number two and, and it doesn't get better. I know the way it ends. The big difference for, for this Sutherland till I die is you actually get like the supporters perspective and a city perspective. And it's more than just following a team at a training camp right. and watching them practice and running around in their underwear. Like it's actually a little bit more. There's, there, there's more of an impact to this. It sounds like. Yeah. Like there's definitely uh, repercussions from it. You're right. I mean, it's not a promotional video of like, wow, isn't that drill awesome? Like we should think about how to incorporate that into our AYSO club. It's uh <laughs> You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, and you know, the results, I mean, the results are easy to go look up, but yet you still are sitting there, you know, riding with this club, like, gosh almighty, can't they catch a break? Like, can't they just, you know, score some crap goal and figure out a way to, to, you know, avoid relegation and it doesn't happen. You know, I wonder if, I wonder if there's any supporters out there that are uh, maybe just have a completely different view to all of this, to the quarantine and the season stopping in the middle. Maybe there's uh, plenty of supporters kind of just happy with that, the fact that it's stopped. And like, right. you know what? They, that club actually provides a lot of pain in my life. Maybe it's best that I'm not actually having to go through that every single weekend. I think yeah. Well, you know, I mean, everyone. it's just, it's, it's, it's their life, you know? I mean, it's their lives. I mean, you see them on the buses going to away matches and on the trains going to away matches. And, you know, you can just tell, like we've always pointed out the thing that we love about this sport is, is you know, better, worse, I don't know. We're not the judges, but 
it's just how meaningful it is to the to them you know of their identity it's just such a, an ingrained part of their identity these people have been going and watching Sunderland matches since you know their parents brought them and now they're grown adults and they have kids of their own and perhaps grandchildren and they just you know they they just can't believe that they find themselves somehow in the third division of English soccer it's just uh you know it's it's uh it's it's uh, a labor of love for sure you know to be a Sunderland supporter you know when when things were good you know it, but not to see it on the flip side I mean just an, and and I mean at one point you know they show a particularly grueling match where things don't go Sunderland's way and they're documentarians the camera people are there in the supporter section and one of them gets attacked I mean like like stop filming us like god why are you doing this you know and, and like the whole idea of the documentary at, at times uh, you know, it, it sort of works against the people who are doing it because the supporters are like, why is this person sticking a camera in my face while we're watching our club lose this, in, this incredibly important match? And, uh, you know, the, the camera goes down. <laughs> so, you know, the, they don't necessarily appreciate it all. It's, it's just part of the, the overall big picture of frustration there. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like the, the supporters might – we might be getting closer to matches. I don't know. There's the steps that you can possibly take until everything goes uh, – and until you actually find out what's going to happen. But the news today, this morning, what I woke up to, Darren, was a, a story from The Athletic that also I saw Joe Prince-Wright put out a story on NBC Sports that uh, Christian Pulisic has been asked to return to London. He is no longer in Hershey, Pennsylvania with his family. Um, no longer quarantining in the States. He is back in England, back in London. I guess, um, I don't know how the setup has been for Barcelona, um, but in London for Chelsea, I know that their training facilities have been closed. No one's been able to use the training facilities. But Stamford Bridge, the stadium has actually been open for players who are in the area and happen to live nearby. They can use it for like running around, just basic training stuff. They're not organizing anything, at least not publicly. Um, but Stamford Bridge has actually been open for training and any players that weren't already in England, weren't already in London have now been asked to come, to come back, which to me, it's a sign that at least there's an organized thought that they think that we might be getting closer to something. You wouldn't be yeah. asking these guys to travel across the world to get back to a central location. If, if that's not what they're thinking at this point. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, how do you navigate around a travel ban in that situation? You know, like, I, I guess if you are considered essential, then you can figure out a way to travel. Maybe private jet aircraft you can travel. Like, I'd love to know what the backstory is there on Christian Pulisic or anybody else traveling from a different country since we know that there are travel bans all over the world. I mean, where we live, we can't even drive 15 miles to the south and cross the border to go to Mexico. So uh, I, I'd love to know how exactly that works for Christian Pulisic. It's probably not the most important angle of the story, other than some people might get stuck out there in, in different parts of the world. And you're starting to see it a little bit in La Liga, starting to see it in the Bundesliga, that players are being called back, training, very specific training guidelines you, know, you get dressed at home you show up they give you uh you know a practice kit in a you know hermetically sealed bag and then you show up the next day with it and they take your temperature and you know you train over here and you train over there but you don't 
train all together. This person's here, this person's here. And you got, and the, you know, the managers and the coaches have to, to be physically distanced from a lot of their players, um, you know, and wear masks and, and do all sorts of crazy stuff that they're not used to. So now listen, I, I mean, these leagues, they stand to lose an awful lot of money, uh, not just in terms of profit margin, but in terms of some of these clubs, you know, they spend more than they have, uh, which is one of the, the virtues that we like about this sport is that it's not just about putting money in the bank. But so you understand that they, you know, they got to get up and running, uh, like in Spain, for instance. You know, La Liga soccer in, in, in football in Spain is like 2% of the uh, uh, GDP. Think about that. That's like insane. Uh, accounts for 200, 180,000 jobs. So, you know, getting it back up and running in some capacity is, is, is important. Same thing in England, you know, that, that it's, you know, a vital, um, you know, figure in the, in the economy and for people to have something to wager on and the millions and billions and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I think it's good. I think it's going to be very weird. You know, I mean, we all know that playing behind closed doors in this sport is a punishment. Um, I don't know that you, you know, do you play in, in you know, your home ground? Do you go play in some you know, practice facility someplace where you're away from, from supporters? You know, there's just like a million questions. Like things have to go really, really well for any of these leagues to get back up and running. But I think it's encouraging at the very least that we are, you know, we're starting to see some movement, whether it's players being called back, training procedures put out for public consumption, uh, even players themselves training with, with, you know, just the abundance of testing that they're talking about. So, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's, 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 you know, I know that the phrase better than nothing gets used an awful lot. I mean, I have my own thoughts on that about playing with no supporters, but uh, you know, at least it's in, encouraging to see some, some movement, some signs of life from some of the leagues across the way. Yeah. I understand why there is movement right now. And a lot of it comes back to money. A lot of it comes back to the fact that they have these contracts that have been signed. They're expected to deliver on certain things and they need to figure out ways to deliver on those because there's so much on the line right now. It feels like, I mean, they're very optimistic. I, it's not going to take very much for this huge machine to kind of go crashing down because there's so many moving parts. You have all these different clubs that are based in so many different locations um, and that's just country, league by league by league, country by country by country. And I mean, you need all of those moving pieces to, to be working. And this is not exactly what they do. They're, they're a soccer club. They're not set up. They're not medical experts. And I mean, they're going to be able to take precautions and everything, but it's not exactly what, what they're accustomed to doing. And they're on the fly trying to figure out ways to even allow people to train and even allow people to show up at practice. And what does that even look like? It's, it just seems to me like it's such a huge ask and I'm glad that they're trying. It's just, it's going to be so, so difficult for them to organize something that is good enough to warrant being the conclusion of a season. It just seems like it's going to be so tough for them to somehow put all these moving parts together and make it work as one big machine. But they're starting to ask guys to come back. Like Pulisic is back in London and that same story, they say that they'll play, the idea is to play two or three preseason matches, essential preseason matches, just to kind of warm me up again. And that's a whole other conversation. Just wait for, wait for those injuries to start happening and see how people respond to having such urgency to get these matches back and going. Um, 
But well, let me ask you this real quick because you know I think it's preseason, and then they want to continue. They want to get it back. They want to get going. So it's yeah. it's just and, a huge ask. And, and you know, I think it's you know, I, I think as you look around too at the European landscape, you sort of wonder, okay, um, England is trying, Germany, Spain, Italy. Well, like, what do we make out of Ligue 1? You know, what do we make out of the French League? What do we make out of the Dutch League? What do we make out of the Belgian League? What do we make out of the leagues, you know, just, just in Europe, I mean, not even South America, that have just gone, we're done, you know, and, and then the different decisions that have to be made. Like the Dutch League just said, we're done. There is no champion. There is no promotion. There is no relegation. We're just done. And then the French League said, okay, uh, PSG, you're the champ. You two at the bottom, you're the ones that are getting relegated. Uh, this is who goes to Europe next year. I mean, obviously there are going to be lawsuits. But it's like, and then what does that mean for Champions League? You know, that, that like you, you know, you sort of look around and you talk about the leagues that are trying to come back. I go, oh, okay, cool. And then you look around and there are other leagues that just went, nah, like we're done. Like League Loon Jordan has not one but two clubs still alive in Champions League. So, like, what if Champions League resumes? What are you supposed to do with the two French sides? You know, part of, part of the challenge is that, you know, you play a league match and then you're playing a midweek match and then you have decisions to make. So, like, if Champions League gets back up and running, do you let the French clubs stay in even though they don't? Like, like how are you supposed to work around all of that? You know, like, like it's great that we've got some answers about – some training uh, protocols and such, but like, I don't know how you're supposed to deal with the rest of that stuff. I don't know what you're supposed to do there. Yeah. I mean, it feels like Champions League, UEFA has a even bigger ask than all the domestic leagues do because the domestic leagues, like we just talked about, you need to have all your clubs functioning and making sure that everyone is staying healthy and safe because whatever happens is a reflection on the league, especially now making decisions the way they're making decisions. Champions League not only needs to rely on clubs, their, their clubs all working out, but they need to rely on them in different countries all over Europe, which is everyone playing by different rules, different standards. Like you say, some, some leagues have just said, that's a wrap, we're done here. Others are trying to get players back into, back into London and trying to continue the league as soon as possible. So I feel like Champions League, it's going to be even more difficult for them to try to find a conclusion to what they've already started this year. Like that's a, it, it, it seems like the Prem would have a better chance to finding a solution than Champions League trying to pull from all these clubs from multiple countries versus just trying to find them at least in one country as you do domestically. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, what does this mean for us in the pool that we're in? <laughs> I mean, it means we get our money back. <laughs> we're in the Champions League pool. Like, what happens there? Now, my yeah. team got picked off. Like, the last Champions League match was Atletico Madrid over Liverpool, and I had Liverpool going back to back, which now in hindsight, I, but yeah, like, what happens there? I don't know. I we can't answer that question. So, yeah, and and you know, I understand the importance too of of you know that that you got to fin you you got to do what you can. Like, I think. You know, I think European soccer finds itself in a much different position than, let's say, baseball. Because, you know, you've got to finish some of these seasons. You've got to try to finish some of these seasons because of how much is on the line with, you know, promotion, relegation, European spots, Champions League, Europa League, et cetera. 
and also that you have expiring contracts. And the longer you push seasons back, the closer it comes to interfering in the 2020-2021 season. So, you know, I don't know what the transfer market's going to look like in the summer. But, you know, I understand that you'd say, hey, we really got to figure out a way to, to finish these seasons. I would understand like, that being much more a burning priority than, let's say, starting a season like, like, like a Major League Baseball. Because, you know, you, 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 know you, can't, you can't have two seasons impacted by your decision making, right? Like, like you got to try to finish this and we'll worry about that after this. Whereas, you know, starting a season, you can say, well, we can just move everything back a little bit. But, you know, finishing one, then thinking about starting another, like that's a whole nother complex set of problems. Like yet again, the NFL figures out a way to just find itself somehow on the right side of this because they're like, well, it's our off season and we've got a couple of months to think about what we're going to do. By the way, I saw earlier today, you mentioned news that the NFL did announce that it would not be playing any international matches. And the only reason I bring that up and why it's relevant here is because I promised that that was a lot of revenue for Tottenham since Tottenham Stadium was going to be used. I just saw that this morning that they made the announcement official that all NFL games would be played in the United States. So they're not going to go to Mexico. They're not going to go to London. That had to have been a lot of money, right? Like that was, that was one of the things that that new Tottenham Stadium was all about financially. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty big hit for that club. But, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I hope they can finish it. I mean, it's not ideal. It's not really what I want to watch. Um, you know, right. I, mean, I think the thing that I've realized throughout all of this is, you know, the athletic endeavors and the matches themselves, they're great. But I don't miss it anywhere near as much as I see as I miss the people, you know, as I miss seeing people uh, even for two matches at Torero Stadium or uh, at Serrano's or at Bluefoot or at Shakespeare's or Princess or the Harp or, you know, wherever. That you know that that you know like fans just seem so essential to the overall experience and and you know the idea of of being without them sort of sucks. But again, I understand that that you know not just because they need to make money, but but they can't afford to to suffer the kind of losses. Why you would go ahead and try to finish these things at all cost? Yeah, I feel like uh, we finally got that SD loyal house party started, and then the cops showed up right away, shut sure. it down. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys got to go home. Party's over. Yeah. At least for now, the party will continue. And it's something we haven't talked about. So you think about it from a fan's perspective there. I wonder if players are going to want to really come back and put themselves in any kind of harm's way just to make sure that people are making the money that they've been contracted to make. Now, whether their money starts getting pulled into play and they start questioning if they're living up their end of the contract, then money typically talks in that regard. But I mean, I wonder if we do find ourselves in a situation at any point where players are like, like the league's ready to go, the club's got a match scheduled, and it's going to count. And the, we, fat, we have important players saying, you what? No, I'm not interested. Like this, I feel like it's rushed. I don't feel like I'm safe in this situation. I don't feel like it's very well thought out. Like, I wonder if we run into that. And then if we do, does that mean you're going to have to start picking players who are just willing to risk it? who don't mind taking the risk, who are comfortable in the situation versus players who think that maybe it's not the greatest idea. I don't know if we get to that point, but I wouldn't be surprised if we do. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. Uh, you'll have some that'll say, yeah, we, it's our responsibility. We want to give the fans, we want to give everybody something to watch or look forward to. Uh, some will just take a pragmatic approach, I'm sure, and say, hey, it's my job. 
You know, you got people who are working in, in markets and grocery stores and public transit, and they're being called to do their jobs. You know, why can't we be called to do our jobs? You know, yeah, it sucks. It's not ideal, but, you know, this is what we do. And if we can help uplift people's spirits, then, then we should do it. And I'm sure you'll have some that will say, hey, I don't want to do any of this stuff. We're human beings. You know, if it's not safe for fans, then why is it safe for us? Now, I, I think that um, a lot of the sports leagues are going to find themselves in, a, in an advantageous position when it comes to testing and medical treatment. Um, you can't guarantee uh, anything, you know. I mean, we've already seen, uh, who is it, FC Koln, is it? K-O-L-N from, from the Bundesliga, where three people have, have tested positive. So you know that's going to be part of it, uh, and it's a very fragile ecosystem. But, you know, if, if there's anybody on the planet who, you know, you, they're with no guarantees, but if there's any group on the planet where you'll say, well, you can't guarantee 100% safety, but, you know, the closest you can come, I'm going to guess it's going to be professional athletes. So, um, you know, I mean, and, you know, it's just like anything else. You know, there are some people who I'm sure in, in my situation would love to go back to the office. I'm sure there are others who would prefer not to go back to the office. And I don't think that, that a bunch of football players are probably wired all that differently. You know, it's, it's just a question of, um, you know, uh, I mean, what happens? And, and can you hear that, the ding? Uh, what happens, you know, in the event that, that you know, a high-profile player doesn't really want to go back? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we run into that situation. It probably is more of a question of when we run into that situation because we're all going to be thrown into the – the timeline of like, okay, well, at what point do you start becoming just more comfortable? Right. And, and I also think that sometimes, you know, that these guys will find themselves in an unenviable position. I mean, you know, you talk about testing, like testing and testing and testing, you know, and if there's somewhere in the world or in the country where testing is, is perceived to be inadequate and, you know, even if the league is taking hundred percent of the financial responsibility of providing for testing, you know, that's a weird position to put a professional athlete in, isn't it? You know, that, that, you know, let's say you've got a bunch of MLS players who are being tested every single day because, you know, that's part of what they agreed to in order to come back. So let's say that you have that. And, and then, you know, there's, there's pockets in the country where they don't have adequate testing and medical professionals aren't getting tested. Well, you know, then not through the fault of the athletes themselves, but they're going to be criticized. They're going to be vilified in, in certain uh, conversations about that. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a pretty crummy situation for those guys to be in as well. And they didn't do anything wrong. You know, they didn't do anything wrong. Their league is worth billions and they've decided that they were going to just make sure that they could test the athletes. But, you know, it's not their fault that some hospital isn't getting adequate testing. You know what I mean? Like it's not. And, and yet somehow it's going to be perceived that way because that's just the way it goes. Right. Well, Certain leagues are taking those steps to get us a little bit closer. It's just going to be wild to see how it actually plays out because it's so unpredictable too. You can, you can try to organize a plan and they have a plan and they hope to execute this plan, but it's unpredictable and you don't know what's going to happen. And as soon as one thing happens, it could just change everything very yeah. quickly. So Yeah, but we're going to see MLS back training this week, right? Back and training. What does that look like, though? <laughs> you stand over there. You stand over there. <laughs> Everyone's long passing is going to be amazing. A lot of hoofball. Right. And then I also heard this, and I thought this was an interesting um, 
an interesting idea. Like, would you think about increasing the amount of substitutes that you would make during a match since you wouldn't expect everybody to be in tip-top shape when it returns? You know, beyond the three, would you say, okay, well, we'll give you a fourth sub just because everybody's sort of scrambling to get back up here? Like, we just want to, like, change the rules now of the sport? If that's what we have to do, it's probably – the takeaway for me is maybe we're just not ready to come back. Maybe we wait for everyone to kind of get up to speed, and then the games can count. Or maybe you take England's approach, just reorganize a preseason schedule, give yourself three matches and say, okay, you're good, right? <laughs> Go. Go get them. It counts. Relegation's on the line. Don't, don't fuck it up. <laughs> They're not even that far from World Cup qualifying and all sorts of stuff. I mean, yeah. God. With this sport, just the international presence of the sport, it just changes the, the dynamic of this so much versus other sports. It's yeah. tough to control this domestically, clearly. But yeah. when you have to deal with a sport that's so international, it just complicates it so much. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's uh, like I said, I mean, I, I understand that, that, you know, that they, they got to do what they got to do to try to come back here because these leagues stand to lose lots of money. Too much. And, and that, not just profit. I mean, just, you know, I, I mean, it's very realistic that clubs, you know, are going to look a lot different. But, um, Man, I, I'm glad I'm not the one that has to try to come up with the plan because I don't know how you do it. I really, I really don't know how you do it. Yeah, it's a very tough ask. It's a big ask, Darren. It's a big ask. It's, it's a big ask, Jordan. It's a big ask. So what else? What do you got going the rest of the day? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just going to uh, try to figure out how to do a three-hour radio show based on uh, 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 two hours of Michael Jordan documentary. You just replay, you, you just replay the documentary today. I should. I should. Just, just let's play two hours of that. And, uh, the last night's episodes are the first two that I have not watched live. I'm going to catch up later today. So I have not seen, um, what is it, five and six? Yeah. I have yeah. Not. Well, they were pretty good. Uh, as a Laker fan, you will certainly appreciate the way episode five starts. Perfect. There's a lot of Kobe Bryant. Okay. A lot Very of Kobe. Nice. So well, I've always thought the only comparison – from Michael Jordan is Kobe Bryant. And it, it sort of supports how I've felt about that for the last couple of years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's good. I mean, it's, you know, they show the 92 team in Barcelona, uh, you know, the dream team and, and those guys, which was uh, obviously an important year for FC Barcelona. But, yeah, it's really good. I mean, I, I think, you know, the thing I'm learning about that is Michael Jordan was much more of a global superstar than I probably even realized. You know, I, I thought Kobe sort of took that to the next level and maybe he did by breaking into Asia and China, but, but, you know, Michael definitely uh, had much more international uh, appeal. I knew he had an international appeal. It's not like they were just selling Air Jordans in the States, but he, um, he had a lot of, uh, you know, that, that 92 dream team did a lot for expanding the game on a global level, you know, which is, which is very soccer-ish. Yeah, if you will, to, you know, to have that and to hear those kind of conversations sometimes, it always gets viewed through the lens of American exceptionalism, you know, that, that people seem to, to forget that, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, not CR7, but like, like Pele, like how big Maradona, how big some of these guys have been globally, even though it didn't necessarily resonate here. So, you know, sometimes you always have to take that sort of conversation with a grain of salt. But uh, in this case, it was uh, it was really really good, you know, and and uh, it's it's I mean it jumps all over the place. I thought this was about the ninety seven ninety eight bowls. I mean, like 
I'm sitting there reliving New York Knicks nightmares from 1993. But uh, <laughs> I don't really fully understand how we're jumping back and forth, but the hell else are we going to watch? Yeah, there is a lot of timeline hopping, but it's been so good. The music has been so good. Not that this is the point of this podcast, but the highlight reels they've been able to... I've been listening to the, the soundtrack of this series on Spotify. That's the best. Right? So I mean, good. people can argue about who the greatest of all time is. I will tell you the thing that I learned most is the greatest of all time is 90s hip hop. Yeah. And basketball montage highlights, like just organized three minutes of Michael Jordan dunking it with a bunch of cool hip hop in the background. And I'm sold. It's a good. May I wonder, you bring up MJ's global presence. It's been asked a million times, but it, it's obvious to ask it again. If social media was around, for Michael Jordan and those Bulls teams, what that would look like. And then also what his global appeal would look like potentially as well. But it would, it would be fascinating. We get a little glimpse of it finally, at least. Yeah. I was very yeah. young for that. So I, I feel like my perspective in 97, 98 season, I'm fourth grade going to fifth grade at that time. So like, I remember watching MJ clearly, but I mean, it's, I was much more of a baseball fan when I was, at that age and so like I remember watching MJ but I am learning a lot about the Bulls by going through this just based on my age brings back a lot of uh, unfortunate memories on yeah. this side here Brent Knicks fan. As, as somebody whose favorite team growing up got eliminated by those Chicago Bulls five times five times in the postseason without ever beating the Bulls never uh it it brings back so on one hand it's a lot of like a lot of good memories you know, um, you think about it, uh, you know, think about like Crystal Palace making a run at the FA Cup a bunch of years ago. You know, like it's not something that happens to a club like that. You know, most of the clubs that we support, we're pretty spoiled. Uh, but that's a memory even in defeat, even losing to Manchester United. It's an incredible memory for people who attended that match at Wembley. And there's that side of it where it's like, you know, the Knicks are such hot garbage now. Like it was like, wow, that was really a lot of fun to go through that year after year after year. But it was also freaking agonizing that we never one time got through the Jordan-led Bulls, even up 2 nothing in a best-of-seven Eastern Conference final. Never got through it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all sorts of mixed emotions for me as somebody who lived it, as somebody who, who, you know, who liked NBA basketball more than any other sport. And had a team that was there that was relevant. Uh, and, and you'll see it when you watch episodes five and six. They, 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 talk, uh, they, they devote a good portion of it to the Knicks. You know, about how the Knicks were their rivals in the, uh, the 90s, in the mid-90s. And, you know, it just never worked out. But, yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> especially that game five, Madison Square Garden, Charles Smith, 6'10", can't dunk a, a freaking basketball. Brutal. But what can you do? But it's, yeah. it's been good. I mean, like I said, it's brought back a lot of, uh, a lot of good memories. Yeah. Last weekend, uh, all about the Pistons. I get the Knicks treatment from these yeah. most recent episodes. And I found myself rooting for the Pistons. I was like, yeah, man, shove Scotty Pippen into the stands. To hell with that guy. <laughs> like, like, I, 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 I love the Pistons because they beat them. Yeah. My perspective at that age, fourth, fifth grade is like, that's, I know Michael Jordan, he's the best player and he's the guy, he's the reason why the Lakers aren't winning titles right now. That's, that's kind of how I pictured him back, back in the day. So. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, there's just an amazing line from Kobe Bryant where, you know, where he says, we don't win five if it's not for my relationship with Michael. And it's like, Whoa. Yeah, like it just, it sort of, you know, it hits you right between the eyes, 
you know, what, what Kobe says. And I'll just leave it at that because that line is, has made the rounds. But the rest of it, uh, you, you know, you'll, you'll like it a lot. You'll, you'll definitely appreciate it. All right, man. Well, it's good to catch up. Good to catch up. Say hello to, uh, to Mrs. Carruth. I will. I will. She is uh, putting me to shame with her work ethic. I, didn't, I knew she worked hard. I didn't realize how hard she worked. She's, she's a machine. I know. And she's eight months pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Puts me to shame. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> let me go back we'll to editing. See, man. We'll see. I mean, hopefully we'll get some USL news here before too long since yeah. we see MLS back in training. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine that USL is going to be too far behind. I hope, fingers crossed, that we see something. I don't know how their business model works in terms of playing behind closed doors at the USL level or even at the MLS level for that matter. But, uh, you know, maybe there's a way to make it happen with, um, you know, just, just for a couple of months, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't close the door completely on, on us seeing live soccer played in San Diego. Not yet. Uh, I hope that's the case. Good. Let's, uh, let's leave that door just a little bit open. I don't want it closed. By the way, if they did decide to do what the Dutch League did or the French League, Ligue 1. We the champs. Campeones. We the champs. Campeones, campeones. <laughs> top, top of the table this whole time. It's fantastic. Playing the final like match of ma- final sporting event in the States, pretty much. Yeah, fuck it. If it's good enough for the French League, it's good enough for USL. I agree. Like, I mean, might as, we should be named Open Cup champions, too, if you ask me. Might as, I think we want to double this year. I like uh, it. All right. Well, we'll be good. hopefully get some, get some good news here with USL very, very soon. Enjoy your uh, sports radio show a little bit later on. Thank you, man. Thank you, Three Punk Ales. By the way, Three Punk Ales is closed, but they are delivering. So yeah. give them a follow on Twitter. They will deliver to you uh, if you reach out. They're doing Venmo only, very safe delivery. They do have the, the brewery open for you to pick it up. Obviously, you can't go in. They're even selling these really kick-ass uh, facial coverings, which you know, is going to become a new, new norm, is uh, all of us now wearing uh, logoed facial coverings when we go out in public so uh those guys obviously sport clips had to close um all the different locations for now but uh yeah our our friends at three punk they're still getting it done so if you need some supplies and you want them to deliver hit them up man and and they might come to uh to your location if you live in the right area yeah that is a uh, good plan and a good strategy always a good time to be uh supporting local and obviously we want to support three punk ales here on the podcast darren we'll uh we'll chat with you soon Peace out, Jordan. Good talking to you. Later.